The Spirit of God is moving upon His people and He is raising up a generation that is prepared for power that will touch this world. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. You are now listening to the last day's return of the historic faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another edition of Return of the Historic Faith. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior, Pastor Jeremy Anderson, and This is going to be a truly, truly fun episode and an important episode. This is going to be one of, you might as well say, a season finale, a two-part season finale instead of the episode before the season finale and I'm trying not to ramble too much but I'm just I'm really excited I've got all this pent up energy I've been so stoked about doing the season finale with Dr. Judd Burton and it will also be on vampires but it will cover vampires in a far more extensive way. Um, We're going to be looking in both episodes today and in the final episode of the season, we're going to be looking at vampires from both a accurate um point of view of their origins so I guess the best way to say it is we're going to be looking at the origins of vampires the mythology versus the true origin of the vampires that you can even find in the bible and we're also secondly going to be looking at a specific vampire yes that's right specific vampire and although this vampire may not be an actual vampire that is um, historically accurate you know a real vampire from history um, he is historical fictionally because he is one of the main characters, one of the main bad guys in 
the first book in my new book series, Dominion of Darkness. And the first book, of course, is book one, Therion Rising. If you have not gotten your copy, then as soon as you finish listening to this episode, you need to go either download the Kindle or order your paperback or hardcover copy today. And in the description of this video, or excuse me, and this isn't a video, um, but in the description for this episode of the podcast, there will be a link to be able to go and buy the book or get it for Kindle if you have Amazon Kindle. And in next week's episode, there will be a link in the description for how to get the book as well as instructions that I'm also going to uh, verbally give you guys in the episode next week, um, either at the beginning or at the end, on how to get an autograph copy of the hardcover. Like, if you purchase the hardcover instead of the paperback and you want it autographed, there's going to be instructions on how to do that. And, guys... The vampire that we're talking about today, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, is the the character Bane. He is Bane, or Commander Bane is what he goes by throughout the majority of the book, because he is actually... A commander in the United States Navy as well as a vampire and he's not a vampire in the Hollywood sense as far as you know can't go out in the sunlight uh, allergic to crosses and garlic although he definitely hates what the cross stands for um, but he is a vampire in the true sense of the word. Going back to the original origins, or excuse me, the actual historical origins of the vampires that are found even in the Bible and in other um, books that are extra-biblical texts, such as the Book of Enoch, but Bane is a vampire because he's six almost 6,000 years old. He's like 5,000 and some change. Um, maybe 6,000. It doesn't give an actual date because he is one of the original Nephilim. And that is where the origin of vampires began 
with the Nephilim. The Nephilim were your original vampires. And we're going to be talking about this in tremendous detail next week with one of the world's, if not the world's leading expert on the subject of vampires and werewolves and things of that nature and their origins and history and mythology. Um, And that is Dr. Judd Burton. He is, aside from being one of the most brilliant men I know and one of the most brilliant scholars of all, you know, not just one of the most brilliant, knowledgeable Christian scholars, but he is one of the most knowledgeable, brilliant minds in the world today. He is definitely in the top of the top five most knowledgeable biblical scholars and Christian scholars that I can think of and he is one of if not the most knowledgeable scholar that I've had on any of my podcasts or video programs Um, the only other man I know that is as brilliant or almost as brilliant as Dr. Judd Burton is Brother Gary Wayne and I honestly don't know which of the two men is the most knowledgeable. I know that Dr. Judd Burton has the most, you know, like, uh, degrees and academic credibility, but as far as actual knowledge on these things, man, you don't find many people who know more about the Nephilim and the Watchers and just ancient history going all the way down through to modern history than Brother Gary Wayne, regardless of whether he has a doctorate or not. The man is like a living supercomputer. His brain is, anyway. And, um, you know... Dr. Judd Burton is as well so I truly don't know which of the two men are the smartest my ideal uh, episode on this subject and subjects like this concerning the Nephilim and the fallen angels would definitely be to have both men on um you know i honestly believe that both of these men are more knowledgeable than 
even Dr. Michael Heiser. Dr. Michael Heiser is very knowledgeable on things like language. And, you know, he is truly a brilliant man, but I do not believe that his brain can come close to matching either one of the the two men I just mentioned. Now, I, I've been rambling and I apologize. We're going to jump back into the subject matter before I uh, go any farther off topic. Vampires. Commander Bane. Commander Bane is a Nephilim. One of the original Nephilim. One of the only original Nephilim. And in this book, he is the only surviving original Nephilim. Now, there is... There is no real... Um, proof that a Nephilim would be able to live for 6,000 years. However, other than, you know, the passages in Genesis 6 about um, men having their lifespan cut down to 120 years and passages in the book of Enoch about the destruction of the original Nephilim there's there's nothing that that states that this would be impossible now there's things that you could use to show that it is most likely improbable but this is a fiction and it's a fictional narrative so you know I took a little bit of you know a little bit of fictional um, I can't think of the word right now but license um, fictional license here to to create the storyline and Bane is the son of one of the original 200 watchers, one of the only 200 watchers who weren't bound in chains in Tartarus, who became the gods of the nations, according to Deuteronomy 32 and um, Psalms 82 and other uh, passages about the the divine council and the gods of the nations but in any case Bane's father is one of the original Nephilim whose name comes from the book of Enoch his name is Armoros and Armoros ended up becoming the god of magic and the god of the sea. Now, although I did find a little bit of evidence that indicates that he could 
very easily have actually been the fallen watcher who became the god of magic and the god of the sea who was known throughout history you know by different names like the most the most notable probably would be Poseidon you know of the Greeks and Neptune for the Romans and therefore Bane would have been a demigod and his son who was known as um my mind is blank at the moment I want to say maybe tried it um it's in the book <laughs> uh I, I have just so much information here to go over today that my brain is just flooded with facts and things that we were going to talk about today and because of that I've forgotten little things like um, you know the who Poseidon and Neptune's uh, son was called and it's in the book like I said it's not a big deal but um, we're gonna go over the titles and all of the the different facts about vampires and all of the different aspects and facts about the character Bane and whatever else we have time to go over as far as the book's concerned because the whole point of today's episode is number one to lay the foundation for the season finale with Dr. Judd Burton where we will be going over vampires in detail and the show itself will just be on vampires as to where this program is on vampires in the sense that we're talking about vampires for next week's show and we're talking about a specific vampire in this week's show and that specific vampire of course is Bane and we're going to talk about the different aspects of the character but the other reason and the other point and topic this episode is to promote the book itself I want you guys to learn as much as you can about the book in this episode so that when you hear the episode hopefully you'll go out and buy the book because when you buy the book you support Kingdom Productions and Publishing and when you support Kingdom Productions Publishing then you help us be able to reach more 
people around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you guys a few things about the podcast really quick. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have either followed this podcast on Spotify or one of the other podcast platforms, although Spotify is the best place to follow Return of the Historic Fate because if you listen to this podcast or excuse me follow this podcast on Spotify and you use Spotify to be able to find hear and even see the new episodes of the podcast then you will not only be able to listen to audio episodes but Spotify now offers video episodes That's right, just like YouTube or Facebook, Spotify now has the feature for podcasters who use Spotify, like Return of the Historic Fate is a Spotify podcast, we are able to create video episodes. And if you go to this podcast on Spotify right now, you'll find a couple of video episodes. And the latest video episode is absolutely awesome. I originally was only going to share the video with the paid subscribers, but I decided to make the video available for the entire podcast audience to be able to watch if they would go to Spotify to do so. Now you can hear the audio of the documentary and that's what it is. It's a documentary and it is the new documentary called, it's a new documentary from um, Good Fight Ministries entitled uh Marvel and DC's War on God and the Antichrist Agenda and it's an awesome documentary and other than buying the documentary on their website or on Vimeo or watching it on I think I know of one YouTube channel who was also able to get permission to share the video. Unless you watch it for free there or watch it on our podcast on Spotify, then the only way you'll see the documentary is if you purchase it so or rent it. So go to Spotify and check out Return of the Historic Fate. Follow us if you haven't already begun to follow us. And if you want to help this ministry grow, then please consider becoming one of our monthly subscribers. A monthly subscription to Return of the Historic Fate is only $1.99 a month. 
a dollar ninety nine a month. That's less than a twenty ounce fountain, a twenty ounce uh, bottled soda. I mean, or a cup of coffee. It's far less than a cup of coffee or cappuccino from somewhere like Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, it's two bucks a month, and you will tremendously help this podcast be able to grow and do more things for the kingdom of God, reach more people with the gospel of Christ, Thanks to those of you who already support this podcast in one form or another, whether it's just following us and sharing the podcast with others, or if you have become one of our monthly subscribers, it is because of your help that we've been able to do the things that God has opened the door for us to do. He's used your help, your love that you've sown into this ministry. And I'm not talking some kind of word of faith, new apostolic reformation, prosperity gospel, sowing of seeds. No, I'm talking about bearing fruit by being obedient to the Holy Spirit whenever the Holy Spirit leads you to support a ministry in some way or give to someone in need you know fruit producing fruit the fruit of the believer it's not always monetary but it definitely can be you know anytime the Lord leads me to give to someone in need or anytime the Lord leads me to give to a ministry and I am obedient that is producing fruit. So that's what I meant by uh, sowing a seed into the ministry of the podcast. I, I wanted to go ahead and clarify that so no one would be confused. In any case, for those of you who have helped this ministry and given to this ministry and supported this ministry, that, and I wanted to let you know that because of what God has done through you, this podcast is now sharing the gospel in 42 countries around the world. People are hearing the true gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus taught, the apostles taught, and the earliest Christians believed and taught in over... 40 countries, 42 countries around the world. Several of them are Muslim countries. They are Islamic nations. They're Arab countries, and that is just such a blessing to me. It truly is. 
and we want to do so much more. There is so much that the Lord has laid on our hearts to do to be able to reach the lost around the world and in the United States. And I know that God will provide a way for us to do that because the only thing keeping us from being able to do the things that the Lord has put on our hearts is money. So, I don't know how he's going to provide the finances, whether it's through the book sales or through the income from the podcast, but I do know that God is going to provide the way. When God leads us to do something, he always provides a way to do it. So, I know that he's going to make the way available. Now, Again, I apologize if I got off topic, but I felt like I really needed to let you guys know just how much your continued support and following of this podcast and the Ministry of Kingdom Productions and Publishing as a whole has done for the Kingdom of God. You think that you're just one person and what you do means nothing, but that is a lie straight from the enemy because what you do matters. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to get back into the subject matter now, which, of course, is banks. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the book. Um, there is one chapter specifically that um, is all about Commander Banks. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the book at all, allow me to, um, I want to just try to find about this okay, about this here we go, here we go, alright, I want to read this to you guys first, and then we're going to dive into Commander Baines. Chief Petty Officer Jason Thorne is an elite U.S. Navy SEAL from SEAL Team 3 who has carried out classified military operations all over the world. After serving three tours in Afghanistan, specializing in demolitions and close quarter combat as a part of Delta Platoon within the Naval Special Warfare Command. His oldest friend, 
Jeremiah Sanderson has him recruited into a highly classified and covert organization known only as Red Cell. Quick tidbit here. Red Cell is a a very real group that is very covert. It's a covert branch of the U.S. Navy that is so secretive that not many people even know what they do. Um, I was able to find out a little bit of what they do and the things that they are doing in the book are based on things that I was able to find that are true. It's things that is the type of things that this organization would do. Okay, back to the book description. Alright. During his time with Delta Platoon, he had been in almost every type of combat scenario imaginable. He had witnessed and carried out unspeakable acts of violence. He'd faced off with every type of enemy imaginable and emerged victorious. But absolutely none of what he had seen or done thus far could have prepared him for the evil he would encounter as a member of Red Cell. He was about to find out the identity of those who were truly in command of the most powerful military in the world. He'd never given much thought to the supernatural outside of what he'd seen in movies or read in books. And he wasn't a religious or spiritual man. However, that would soon be a thing of the past because Jason was about to have his entire paradigm shattered when he gets thrown headfirst into the final battle of the war between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Like Jeremiah, He was about to find himself in the middle of a war that had been raging for the past 6,000 years. Alright, that is the book description. And as you heard there, there are two main characters first book that are not evil, that are not bad guys, and that is, now, they're not the only characters by any means, but these are the two main characters that the narrative of the book focuses on the most. Um, There are several other characters who 
are mentioned only in one, maybe two chapters, and then there are characters that are like you know, supporting roles, but the two main characters that are not evil are the two military guys, which is Jason Thorne and Jeremiah Sanderson. Now, they both were originally, they, they grew up together. They are old friends, the oldest of and they also became, they joined the Navy and the Navy SEALs together. But after they joined the SEALs and were sent out on deployment, you know, they, they were deployed different places and whatnot, their lives kind of went in separate directions, um, and Jeremiah's life, they're, they're, the chapter on Jeremiah Sanderson is one of the most interesting and detailed chapters in the book, in my opinion, um, it focuses on two things, it's got two stages in the chapter, it begins with one specific tour in Afghanistan, where he was in Kandahar, and in the book, Jeremiah Sanderson was one of the soldiers who encountered the Kandahar giant, the Nephilim of Afghanistan. But in the book, it's not just one giant they find in the mountains of Kandahar, but two giants. Only one survives. And I don't want to give too much away, but I will say this, um, that they weren't hunting these giants to kill them in the book. They were hunting them to recruit them. And after Jeremiah's experience with the Nephilim of Kandahar, when he realizes that the military through the CIA are recruiting these giant monsters for whatever. He doesn't know what, but they're recruiting them for something. This causes him to go in a different direction. This is the event that causes him to split off from the course that he and Jason were on together 
as Navy SEALs, and he ends up joining the CIA, which is why in the description he's described as a CIA operative or agent, whatever word was used there. And it is one of the things that plays a very key role in the story of Jeremiah Sanderson in this book. The second part of the chapter on Jeremiah covers his career after he leaves the Navy and joins the CIA and eventually joins Red Cell where he ends up in completely over his head and he is able to use his contacts to get his oldest friend Jason Thorne recruited into Red Cell along with him for (laughs) the express purpose of getting him out. You know, he gets Jason in to rescue him. (laughs) And, of course, Jason doesn't know this until he's recruited. He just sees it as a career advancement, you know, opportunity. He jumps on it and it, it, you really just have to read the book to see where this storyline goes between these two men. Um, the chapter, there, there's several chapters that Jason is in. You know, he's all throughout the book. But there are several chapters that he is you know one of the lead characters in that chapter and one is um the chapter where he goes into red cell you know he he joins red cell and we're actually going to be going over that chapter today because the chapter that he joins red cell in is chapter that is entitled Commander Bane but it's also about Commander Bane and um, you know we're going to be not completely reading the chapter but we are going to go over it and and in doing so we're going to see a few things about Jason but the next chapter that has Jason as the lead character in the chapter is entitled The Jet excuse me, I got tongue tied The Death of Jason Thorne and it's one of my favorite chapters as well because of the choices that are made in the chapter and I'll go ahead and, and tell you 
and this is in no way spoiling anything for you because you know the the whole um storyline and the my, my mind is going blank as far as the terms but the um mm, the conflict in this chapter is that one way or another Jason is going to die no matter what in one way or another Jason is going to die and he does before the chapter is over Jason Thorne dies but it's one of if not the most important chapters in the story of Jason Thorne because the story of Jason Thorne definitely does not end in this book and this is only the first book in the series. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much for you, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But when I tell you guys that you really need to read this book, I mean it. And it's not just because I wrote it. Because I'll tell you, there are much better literary works out there. You know, this is an end times fiction book. Um, like, say... You know, it's in the, the category of, say, Left Behind or Chronicles of the Apocalypse. And I will be the first to admit that, and I, I put this in the book, um, in my note to the reader. I'm going to read my note to the reader to you guys here in just a second um, before we dive into Chapter 5, Commander Bane. I'm going to read the note to the reader to you. But I will be the first to admit that I am nowhere near the storyteller or the author that, um, you know, Jerry B. Jenkins or Tim LaHaye, the authors of the Left Behind series, I'm nowhere near storytellers that they are or the storyteller that one of my favorite authors Ryan Gadawa, author of Chronicles of the Nephilim Chronicles of the Watchers and Chronicles of the Apocalypse series. All three of those series are very very good books they tell an awesome story and it's like a movie inside your head with every one of those books. However, when it comes to the Chronicles of the Apocalypse that Brian Gadower wrote, but see, the thing is, and I, I don't want to get off track, and I, I was starting to, so I want to say this real quick. The thing is about the Chronicles of the Apocalypse, as much as I love Brian Gadawa as an author, and as much as I truly enjoyed the 
Left Behind books, I have read all of them. As much as I enjoyed them, both of those series, Left Behind and Chronicles of the Apocalypse, as awesome as they were, were not biblically accurate. They were very, very doctrinally unsound. Um, you know, the Left Behind series was flat out unbiblical when it comes to the end times and Chronicles of the Apocalypse was as well. You know, Chronicles of the Apocalypse has the book of Revelation and the end times, the the tribulation period and everything found in the book of Revelation being finished in 70 AD and fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And the Left Behind books cover the entire book of Revelation and tribulation period from a demonic-inspired doctrine known as dispensationalism that was created. See, you got to understand, we battle not against flesh and blood. And the men who created these doctrines, um, there, there is very, very good evidence to support the fact that both doctrines were created by a Jesuit. And as far as dispensationalism goes, the man most well known as the father of dispensationalism is John Nelson Darby. And Darby, although he was a man made of flesh and blood, the demonic spirit responsible for the doctrine that he promoted was not flesh and blood. And that doctrine, the reason, or at least one of the reasons for its creation was to leave the church completely unprepared for the tribulation. And some even taking the book of Revelation, which Jesus himself is a letter. It is a book made up of, it's basically an epistle, just like Paul's epistles from Jesus to the church. So how can anyone come up with the doctrine that says that the church is nowhere in the book of Revelation 
as far as the tribulation period after the first three chapters how can anyone believe that the book of revelation and the tribulation period is not for the church that the church will not be here the saints are all in the book of revelation and friends there are no saints other than the followers of Jesus Christ in the church. When the tribulation period finally comes and the saints that are mentioned in the book of Revelation are saints that will be here in the tribulation period when that time comes, those saints are not saints in the Old Testament sense. There are no Old Testament saints in the book of Revelation. And the only other people that are called saints are those who remained true to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. Those who continued to follow God in the Old Testament were the saints of God. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, and in the Tribulation, saints are from the church. Now, I'm going to get off my soapbox, and we're going to dive into this, but I wanted to just let you guys know that I know that my book is not going to come close to being as well written or as good of a book or story as Tim LaHaye writes or Brian Gadawa writes but I didn't set out to write a better story than they did I set out to write a fictional end times novel based on truth, biblical truth, that was not a better story, but was better doctrinal, that was a doctrinally sound storyline, a book that was based on biblical truth. I set out to do that, and I did it. When it comes to sound doctrine, this first book in the series blows those other books away. And I know there are many more end times novels and series than the two I mentioned from Tim LaHaye and Brian Gadawa, but those are the two most well-known and those are the two that I have read so but even the others that I've read I have yet to find one that isn't dispensational or isn't preterist now, Brian Gadawa's novel 
series is the only one that I've found so far that's based on the doctrine of preterism, but the other series and novels on the end times that I've read were all dispensational, and they all were based upon the pre-trib rapture and dual covenant theology, which is heresy. Now, the note to the reader. I just want to read it to you really quick. Note to the reader. There have been many books written about what life may be like during the tribulation. I will be the first to admit that most, if not all, of those books were written by more experienced and better writers than myself. I didn't set out to write a more entertaining novel about the end times than the others that are already out there. I set out to write a doctrinally sound book series about what I believe living through the tribulation could be like. That is also entertaining to read. It is my hope that you will come away from this book having been entertained, but most importantly, with an idea of what both the Christians and non-Christians will be living through sooner rather than later. Please consider leaving a review of the book on Amazon. Leaving reviews on Amazon are one of the best ways to support this or any book. Sharing it on social media is also a really good way for you to help. Thank you so much for all of your support and may God bless each and every one of you. Grace Alright, now, after all of the ranting and other stuff that I've talked about, I am going to now go to chapter 5 and we're going to talk, well, we're going to look at the chapter and look at the character of Bane, we're going to, um, read chapter 5 or read some of it and then we're going to go back to chapter 2 because chapter 2 is a short chapter and we're going to look at chapter 3 just briefly because although chapter 3 is a very detailed chapter about a specific set of events and time period that are found in a very important chapter in the book of Revelation. There is a part at the very end of the chapter that Commander Bane plays a role in. Commander Bane is actually first introduced in the second chapter of the book and we're not going to have time in this episode to go over each place that Commander Bane is in 
as far as the book is concerned, each chapter. But in the season finale, the one thing that I am going to do as far as the book is concerned is when either before Dr. Burton goes through and breaks down the true history and origin of vampires either before he does that or afterwards we're going to go over each part of the book that covers the Nephilim vampire thing and we're going to look at where he began and what he ended up where, like, in the book, where he began, which would be when he was born, and where his story ends in the book. Now, his story doesn't end in the series in this book, but where the, I guess the best way to say it is where his story leaves off. Like, where it begins and where it is at at the end of the book. Because I think that part will surprise you. I think there's quite a bit about this book that will surprise you. I apologize for that loud noise that you guys heard. I um, accidentally hit my mic (laughs) with my hand. I talk with my hands. I have a bad habit of it, and I was a little too close to the mic, and I hit it with my hand. However, here we go. Chapter 5, Commander Bank. Coronado, California. Bain sat at the bar, watching the news on television, inside of his favorite tavern, The Wooden Nick. It was March 1st, 2024. He had done a lot of work in the last three and a half years that his father nor Lucifer would ever give him credit for. While he was thinking about all of his hard work, he noticed the TV as the bartender was going through the channels and finally stopped at the news on GNN. The same thing had been playing on every station. Israeli Prime Minister Joshua Ben Yusuf, who was also proclaimed the Messiah by religious leaders, was addressing the world from Israel. His address was regarding all that he'd accomplished in the past three years. That was something Bain had to laugh at, because in his opinion, that man couldn't accomplish his way out of a paper bag on his own. He was talking about the peace, safety, and stability that he brought to the Middle East and the world. Besides taking credit for single-handedly stopping World War III, he was also addressing the unprecedented amount of 
massive natural disaster that had devastated the world. The oceans had been ravaged by sulfur. One third of all the trees and most of all the green grass in the world had been destroyed. Super volcanoes under the world's three major oceans had erupted, along with super volcanoes in Wyoming's Yellowstone National Park, Lake Toba in Indonesia, and the Taupa supervolcano of New Zealand. These unexpected mega eruptions caused the death of one third of all life within the sea and turned the ocean blood red. They also destroyed countless numbers of ships and created record-breaking earthquakes and tsunamis that completely devastated coastal regions around the world. The eruptions sent so much smoke and ash into the atmosphere that the sun looked like it was covered with sackcloth. The moon looked like the color of blood and the stars couldn't be seen at all throughout the sky for a full third of the night. As a result, it was both one third darker during the day and also throughout the night. This also seriously affected the bariatric pressure at both of the world's poles, which resulted in 2024 being the worst year on record for the number of hurricanes that made landfall. Also, because of the massive amount of particles in the atmosphere, supercell thunderstorms with the largest, most powerful tornadoes ever recorded ravaged the nations around the world. As if the earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, and the destruction of countless sea and wildlife wasn't bad enough. An asteroid larger than any that has hit the earth in recorded history collided with the earth on December in December of 2023. Scientists say that the asteroid number 99942 Apophis was 1,200 feet in diameter. It would have been catastrophic if the complete asteroid had made impact with the Earth. It would have created a tremendous dust plume that would have enveloped much more of the planet blocked out much if not all of the sun and raised temperatures where the asteroid impacted. Millions more would have died. In fact, most of the life on the planet would have been affected if it hadn't been for a secret project that was a part of the Israeli Iron Dome defense program. It was able to shatter the asteroid into seven smaller but still large pieces before it struck the Earth. These pieces crashed into seven major rivers around the world 
destroying one-third of the world's fresh water supply, making it undrinkable, and killing anyone who drank it. I want to pause here to say that all of this stuff that I just read in this from the news broadcast is covered in previous chapters, covered in detail. So, although I just gave a little bit of a spoiler by letting you know things that have happened by the time you get to chapter 5, um, it's really not a spoiler because all of these things are directly from the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 9, um, mainly chapter 8, but regardless, although these things specifically aren't listed as how Revelation 8 is fulfilled, the things that happen that are talked about in this news broadcast are all things that happen to fulfill Revelation chapter 8. And if you do download the book on Kindle or get a copy of the book, then you will be able to read these things when they happen, like the order that they happen in, and you'll see the fulfillment, how they are fulfilled, and then when you get to chapter 5, this description here that you'll read will only be like a refresher. Back to the book. Bane listened to the charismatic man that his father and uncle had not only made the most powerful and loved man in the world, but also the man who joined the three Abrahamic religions, Catholicism, Judaism, and Islam. This single-handedly brought peace between the Catholics, Jews, and Muslims in the Middle East and allowed the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Bain decided that he definitely needed another drink. This was his fourth or fifth of the day, but it wasn't the only type of drink that he was craving. Alright, this is where I was originally going to start reading from, but I decided to give you guys a little a little uh, taste of what is in the book, so I started from the beginning of the chapter. But this is the part that starts really focusing on Bane himself and his being a both a Nephilim and a vampire. It wasn't the only type of drink he was craving. He usually came in to find a beautiful woman and tap her jugular. It would have to do for now, though. Today he was working and could not afford 
to tick his uncle off. Bartender, I'll take another. Make this one a double. The man behind the bar looked his customer up and down, practically forcing himself to speak. No, no disrespect, sir, but how are you going to pay for your tab? I, I mean, it's not even noon. At this rate, you'll drink my entire bar dry by dinner. Bane pulled a lock of long, dark hair away from his face. He reached inside his black trench coat. The bartender took a nervous step back. Bane ignored the man and made sure not to make eye contact as he brought out several hundred dollar bills from his wallet and dropped them on the counter. Forget the double shot. I'll just take the bottle. Why, yes, sir. Right away, sir. The bartender's eyes were as large as full moons as he wrung his hand. Excuse me for asking about the money. It's, it's just that, well, times are not what they used to be. Please, sir, stay as long as you like. Still ignoring eye contact with the man, Bane stared into his empty glass. The bottle. Oh, yes. The bartender moved quickly for a man of his girth, and he had a jug of whiskey by Bane's side in seconds. Bane was an extremely intimidating figure at eight foot tall with long dark hair and golden eyes. The bartender was used to seeing strange looking individuals, so he didn't pay much attention to Bane's appearance. This was California after all. There were many legends and myths about creatures like Bane, and in modern times the world no longer believed supernatural beings like him even existed. If this was a novel or a movie, Bane would have been called a vampire, a creature of the night who couldn't survive in the sunlight. But the truth of Bane's existence was much more frightening than the vampires in fictional novels and Hollywood movies. Bane was a fallen one, a Nephilim born from the mating of a fallen angel with a human woman. Sure, you could definitely consider Bane to be a vampire, as all vampire myths and lore originated from the Nephilim. But Bane was almost 6,000 years old, and he was one of the few Nephilim to survive the flood sent as the wrath of the Creator and Most High God. Bane would not have been able to survive at all if his father hadn't been the God of the sea. Many nations knew and worshipped Bane's father under different names. He was both Heka and Nun to the Egyptians. He was Poseidon to the Greeks and Neptune to the Romans. 
main father was no more a god than any other of the quote-unquote gods of the ancient world. He was one of the fallen angels that ancients worshipped as gods. But he could live and breathe underwater. And he passed that ability on to some of his offspring, which is how Bane was able to survive the flood. Bane missed the old days terribly. The old days when he was treated with the fear and respect someone as powerful as him deserved. The Dark Ages were a glorious time Thorn, reporting for duty, sir. That is 
say there will be plenty of time for protocol when we get to Red Cell Command. For now, you should have a drink because you see everything that you thought you knew about the world in which you live in is about to change forever. Pardon me, Commander? It already has, sir. It feels like the world is coming to an end with the war and everything that's happened with the volcanoes and the asteroids. I've killed more enemies of America since Atlanta was bombed than I did in three tours in Afghanistan. Add that to the way it looks outside during both the day and at night, and it literally seems like we're in the middle of an apocalypse. Jason said with a serious look, maybe it is. Son, you could be right, but answer me this, boy. Are you a squid or are you a seal, son? Jason said, I'm a seal, obviously, sir. And he ordered a double shot of Kentucky bourbon, like Bane suggested. He wasn't sure what his new commander meant about his world changing, but one thing that he was sure of, he didn't like the feeling that he got from him. Not to mention, he was the largest, most pale individual Jason had ever seen. He hoped it was Bane's appearance that made him feel so uneasy, but Jason had a foreboding feeling like he'd never had before. It was like he knew he was in the presence of true evil. He wondered if this is how he might feel in the presence of someone like Hitler or Osama bin Laden. He shrugged and ordered a final shot of bourbon, and he downed it as his commander got up to leave and motioned for him to follow. As the two soldiers left the bar, Jason Thorne didn't realize the magnitude of what he was a part of, but he'd soon see. All right, that is the end of chapter five. I said I wasn't gonna read it, but I did. I ended up reading the entire chapter, which took up a lot more time than I wanted to take. And because of that, I am going to have to wrap this episode up pretty quickly here. Then we're going to close and end this episode. And then we'll cover everything that we weren't able to get to in this episode in the season finale. 